my brother. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Yourself? Well, as I told you when we jumped on this uh, call immediately, I am above dirt and nobody is taking a shot at me or my house today. So that's a good place to start. And you? Roger that. Doing well. I'm blessed. Like I said, God gave me another day to do his will. Exactly. And it's funny, man, when you, when you have gone to a place in your life where the darkness is so prevalent, where you're, you're looking around the, the, the horizon for some inclination that it's going to get better, but over time it just gets worse and worse and worse. Man, it's so easy to lose that perspective. Right when you're exactly. when you're exactly. really not sure, man, am I going to pull out of this psychosis? Am I going to pull out of this feeling? Am I going to pull out of this sensation of complete and utter defeatism? Right, and you experienced that. You went to that dark place where your life was pretty much at the bottom. Could you describe that moment when you were like when you realized this is it? I'm in trouble. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, I was in a dark, 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 dark place. Um, I was, I was drinking every day. I was, you know, dealing with a wife at home who was taking, basically taking care of two young children on her own and working a full-time job where, where I was working as well. I was trying to work as much as possible so I would not be home uh, because work for me was my outlet. You know, um, all I would do is work, drink, and work out. You wow. Know? Um, uh, Sounds familiar. Yeah. My, my, my weekends um, when I should be spending quality time with my kids was spent either working, drinking, or recovering from the night before. Right. And I was basically useless. I was physically present, but mentally I was not there. I was checked out. And the, the thing that got me to that point was just years and years and years of battling depression, battling anxiety. You know, it was to the point where I felt everyone in my department hated me from the chief I thought everyone in my squad in narcotics hated me from my lieutenant, actually from my captain on down. I thought everyone on my SWAT team hated me from the commander on down. Wow. And, you know, after I went through everything, that could have been further from the truth. You know, Um, I started to realize I had a problem um, when I started to hear other people talk. Um, I heard a, um, I was at the, um, the Tomahawk uh, charity benefit in Nashville in um, November of 2018. And that's when they had Jimmy Hatch talk. Mm-hmm. And I heard his story. And I remember sitting back at the table. We were sitting out with a bunch of guys from my SWAT team. And I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm starting to tear up and choke up because I'm like, holy shit, this is me. Literally here in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And, um, um, you know, a, a month and a half later, I was living that, going through the same things that he went through, um, you know, going to, going to hospitals, going to rehab, you know. And, um, and then there was another case where 
Um, I, w- I was a part of my job as a narcotics detective would be to go out and, t- and speak to various high schools about the dangers of opioid abuse, mm-hmm. you know. And we had a uh, recovering addict. Which Come on. If, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off, Brad, but if, if you're listening right now, we've had over 700,000 deaths from the opioid crisis in the last 15 years. And, yeah, and I think people, people don't have any, they can't even fathom the magnitude of the destruction that opioids have, re, have reached across this country. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, I mean, the, the United States as a whole, I think, consumes 80% of the world's opioids you know, for the the entire world, you know, um, there was enough pills. I want to say back in 2018, there was enough prescriptions that were prescribed for a month's supply of opioids for every single person in the United States. Oh, you know, and especially, especially where I, you know, live and work outside of New York city. Um, it's bad. I mean, you know, uh, one of the neighboring, um, one of the cities up here rather, has some of the purest heroin in the country and it's yeah. being laced with fentanyl. Yeah. Right? And, you know, fentanyl is so cheap to obtain, right? Compared to, you know, the, the, the amount of money it costs for a kilo of heroin. Right. right? It's up to $35,000. You have a kilo, you have a kilo of fentanyl going for anywhere between five to $7,000. Wow. And it's synthetic too. So they, any, Chinese can manufacture that in any, yeah. any, any laboratory they want. Exactly. So, you know, what we do is we have a very, very proactive approach to uh, education of, because it's got to start at a grassroots level. Yeah. We we educate the kids in school as as, as, uh, low as uh, middle school. We start educating the kids. And um, part of my job was to go out and give presentations to to these children in in the county in which I work. And we, um, and I I came across this one individual um, who gave his story. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, wow, this again, this is me. Right. And his, his, you know, his story was with heroin and opioids and pills. Mine was with alcohol, same addiction, different, different substance. Right. You know, so, and that was probably about, I want to say three or four weeks before, you know, I ended up going to rehab. And what happened was the day, you know, I'll never forget my, my sobriety date is December 25th, 2018. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. You yeah, know, it's a good um, day to have it. Yes, it is. Right. So, um, two days after, right. Um, I'm putting together a, uh, my kid's uh, bike that he got for Christmas. Right. Having wow. a good day. He's riding it around. I'm, I'm happy as all hell. I got a day off from work, you know, cause the day, the day prior to work on the SWAT truck and, um, my wife comes home and uh, I could tell she's visibly upset. And she says to me, um, going on and on and on because the, the, the uh, Christmas night, I had come home like around three 30 in the morning and I was drunk. Wow. And, uh, you know, we had the ring doorbell and obviously she gets an alert, sees me walking, you know, stumbling my ass in and she called me out on it. And I was, and she told me she wanted a divorce. Wow. And it, at, at that time I felt like I got the biggest gut punch ever received. And, um, just everything that had come in my life, the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of being a fuck up, the, the depression, the, the, everything was just coming to a head. And I literally broke down and I was crying. I'm like, you, like don't do this to me, please, please, please. She goes, no, I'm done. I'm done. Right. So 
I was emotional. I got into my car and I left. Wow. And I remember texting my wife saying, I'm sorry. I love you. You're not going to have to deal with me anymore. And I shut off my phones. Now I got two, I got phones. I got one, for, one phone for uh, work, one phone for my you know, personal. And I shut both of them off. And um, I drove about 30 minutes. And for, I got off the highway and I was, my, my plan was I was going to go to the top of a mountain and I was just going to, you know, see you later. You know, yep. nice view overlooking New York City. You know, I was just going to be like, oh, I'm done. And um, she, for some reason, I don't know what it was, made me call. I turned the phone on and I see all these text messages from her. And I call her up and he, she's hysterically crying. And she goes, and I go to her and go, what's the matter? She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? She's like, the cops are here. First words out of my mouth. You just ruined my career. Oh. Right. Not thank you for yeah. saving my life. Yeah, that's how twisted because, up you were. Because that's what she actually did. She yeah. saved my life. 100%. And so I had to go um, to, I had to turn myself in. Uh, turn myself into the local PD. And from there, um, you know, I was taken, I was taken in for, for evaluation. And those four days are probably the worst four days of my life. Um, and remember I was telling you about how I felt that everyone hated me? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I had four of my brothers sit with me in the emergency room the entire night. Wow. Admitted. Um, I had my, I had my best friend who's the, uh, who's my PBA president. He was there with me. Mm -hmm. I had my other buddy, a very close friend of mine, who's my, who's the vice president of my PBA. He was there with me. And I had my state PBA delegate who was also there with me. He was also a very close friend. And more importantly, because I hold the brotherhood so close, um, I cherish that was I had my SWAT commander there with me. Oh my God, right? that's huge. And that and that shows the type of person he is, the type of leader he is, you know. And that night we had our, we had my, my, my squad, uh, we had our uh, joint um, Christmas party that night, right? Mm -hmm. And it was at this great restaurant, you know, where everyone was going to be drinking and, you know, having, you know, huge portions of food and stuff like that. We're all looking forward to it. And he bypassed that to sit with me wow and um because he knew your life mattered more than a party yeah and, and he knew i was hurting you know and um and that's when he started making phone calls and that's when he finally reached out um he eventually reached out to wally right from tomahawk yeah um yeah it was a great great dude i've known Wally awesome about 2016 and you know awesome human being you know, him and I just clicked, you know, you see us walking together down the street. We look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito and twins, but you know, <laughs> you know it's hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> though. I, I will say this. Let me interject though. Danny DeVito's skill sets don't quite. Oh uh, yeah. A little, little different. Little different. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. what, if I see Wally walking down the street, I turn around and go. Oh, exactly. Yeah, agreed. 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 <laughs> um, but, uh, I was talking about the height difference. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. He's a, um, he, uh, you know, I consider him to be like my brother. That's awesome, man. Um, he, he would give me the shirt off his back, you know, and um, he started making phone calls and he knew 
you know, because he's obviously had friends who have been in this type same situation before. Oh, you know, our our community is is riddled with it right now. You can't you can't you can't you can't do twenty straight years of combat and not have the effects of that change your your life. It's an impossibility. It it. Yep. To imagine that there's some human being on this planet that can be exposed to 20 sustained years of war fighting and not have their, their, the, the, the essence of who they are, their self, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that internal component that makes them unique as a human not be affected. It just doesn't exist. And the same is true for pe- people that have been police and law enforcement for extended periods of time. It just People don't understand that. You know, they just don't get it. So yeah. what did you do? What did Wally convince you to do? Now, Wally, Wally he, he basically, he talked to me. He's like, listen, dude, if you need help, we're going to get you to help. You know, and, um, you know, my, they, they, I was originally going to go down to Florida to a, um, to a, a treatment facility down there. And, um, Brad, your, your sound is oh, a little I'm low. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I originally went down to a, uh, they originally were going to send me down to Florida Mm-hmm. to a treatment facility down there and uh my chief who is who <laughs> i have the utmost respect for i would run through any door any wall any building for this man he is the the true definition of what a leader is mm-hmm. you know um he cares for his subordinates he cares for every single person under his chain of command wow right? and um he knew i was hurting and um, he said, I don't want to send Brad to any, just any run of the mill place. I want to send him to the best place, a place where he's going to be around people like him. Yeah. A place, you know, where there's, where there's warriors. Right. And that's when Wally made the phone call to Tom Spooner. Wow. And, um, that's when I got to warrior's heart. Wow. And, um, well, let's, I, can I just, let me interject right now because I, you know, I, I want to spend a, a good amount of time on, on your experiences with treatment. Cause that, that's what people really have to understand that, that treatment's not what you imagine it to be. It's, it's this incredibly beneficial cathartic thing that changes mm-hmm. your perspective and allows you to get more in touch with who you are as a person. Right. But, but there's a reason you got to this place. There's, there's a reason, but but even before that, why did you ever want to go into law enforcement? I mean, it seems like in particular right now with what we're watching around mm-hmm. the country, it seems like such a thankless job. It's one, it, every, everybody that I've ever known and, and worked with throughout you know, my career carrying a gun for a living, you know, always said it's one of the most thankless jobs in the world. You know, one minute you're pulling the cat out of the tree and the next minute you're stopping someone from beating their wife to death with a club, right? And mm-hmm. then the next minute you're doing, you're, you're, you know, you're investigating uh, this crime or, or if you're like you're, you where you're, you were on elite units, every single day is challenging. Every day you're dealing with the very worst aspects of the human condition. So what made you, what in your, what in your infinite wisdom when you were a young man said, Oh yeah, this is going to be a great life choice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
it, it basically all starts back. You know, you look at me as a young kid. I got pictures of me dressed up as the cops sitting in, you know, the, my, my town police cruisers and stuff like that. So I, I guess it really started out ever since I was one, ever since I was a kid. So my father had a lot of friends who were, who were cops, you know, okay. and I looked up to him, you know, um, and, um, well, same I, thing when I was a kid, man, you know, I, I, my family, we didn't have a lot of friends, but I remember for me, it was, and I, I don't hate to cut you off, but, but yeah. there's, there's a very vivid memory for me as a child. I was playing Pop Warner football locally. And, and back then, Boca Raton was a pretty small town. But there was a cop that would come out and coach, and his name was uh, Officer Barton. He was this giant African-American dude, huge, but like just put together, squared away. And he'd come out on the field and he'd give us these these lectures and then he'd inspire us and he'd help me do drills with us. And I was like, man, this is the epitome of what a police officer is. This is the guy that that is this is the guy that keeps things safe. And I was just I was like, that's cool. And I think that was my real my real first uh, uh, intimate um, uh, affiliation psycho psychologically with with what it means to serve right? How you serve your community, how you serve your country, how, how everything functions through the, the, the protective um, guidelines of, of law enforcement and military, right? And it was an important moment for me, just like you, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it was. And it, it really starts back to, you know, um, my decision to go to college, right? Um, you know, I was recruited to play football. Um, you know, Where at? Uh, I was recruited all over the East Coast, um, you know, Syracuse, Boston College, Rutgers, wow. a bunch of schools. And I was also recruited to play at the United States Military Academy. And Very cool. So I, I made a decision, you know, to uh, enroll at the United States Military Academy. And I had to go to the prep school for a year down at Fort Monmouth. Um, went to the prep school for a year, played football down there. It was basically my red shirt year. Yeah. Then I got, then I, I did get, the same thing up in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then, so then I got into, uh, so then I got into West Point. Right. And, cool. uh, spent, spent four and a half years there. Um, played football, uh, beat Navy once. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you had to throw you know, that, in, throw that in there. Right? So well, listen, that, I, listen, I played lacrosse at Penn State, and we used to play them every year. So yeah. it was funny when I got in the teams. Actually, a buddy I knew is at Team Three, played football at, at and, and lacrosse, and we okay. would just go at each other. Yeah. All the time. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be like, yeah, you beat Navy in this yeah. one. So. No, I agree. Right. So, uh, you know, um, played ball up there and everything else. And then um, right, right before uh, graduation, my senior year, you know, I get uh, dismissed from the academy. Right? Oh, for what? Uh, basically, what happened was, you know, before you graduate, you have to conform to the Army height weight standards, and you have to, and you have to pass PT test, right? So, uh, long story short, I missed a, missed a two mile run by fifty one seconds, and they kicked me out. Wow! So that was heartbreaking for me. I um, and it, it it was killing me because I got an honorable discharge out of there, and. Um, had you ever experienced a failure like that at that magnitude? No. Yeah. It, that was no. the first yes. massive yes. understanding that there's, there's, there's an expectation of performance that won't be moved. Yes. That won't, and, and, and you're not going to meet that. You yes. just don't. Oh, wow. That, and, then, and that's when basically my like, – like, 
everything kicked off in my life. Like the feeling of not being good enough, the feeling of my depression. Uh, and that's really when my alcoholism really kicked off too, because that's how I would cope with it. Right. Yeah. Well, let um, me ask you this. Cause I, I know growing up in football and growing up in, in kind of that mentality of the, you know, the eighties and, you know, there was a there was a there was a party atmosphere that was affiliated with many sports, right? And and if you come from an area, you know, like where we come from, you know, there's there's high school antics, everybody parties a little bit. Was there yep. was your partying out of control then? Was your drinking, or was it just the no, kind of the normal? It, it was normal. You know, yeah. I was, you know, no, it, it wasn't crazy. And then and then you know, I went to a college where you really couldn't drink. You couldn't right. Have, right. You know, who's in the barracks, you know, you couldn't have any of this stuff, you know, um, I didn't have a normal college experience. Right. So when I, so when all this happened, that's when I switched gears and then, you know, I just, I took off running and I was, I was drinking nonstop. And, um, and then I had my classmates going on over and, um, some friends of mine were getting killed. I had classmates get killed over in Iraq wow. and, and, and that feeling that I felt like guilt, uh, exactly. I, I want to be there. I want to be there with them. You I know? let them down. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I had that. I had what I basically said was, you know what, if I can't serve and protect our country over there, I want to do it here stateside. And that's when I, that's when I, you know, raised my hand to become a cop. Was it an aha moment or was it, did it, did it, did it linger? Did it build up until no, where it, it was like, it was like an aha moment. Okay. Like, you know, you know? Right. Um, and I, I always, I, and I don't, I always love because anytime I think within the human condition, when we face those massive moments of pain, right. And I call, I like to reference as a, we, we're all on this pathway of pain, right. But when you can find that positive pain moment that drives you towards a place yeah. where you're going to better yourself, that's a big moment. And exactly. I always, I always like to know what happened in that context for me. Yeah, no, it was, it was just like, you know, like enough is enough. All right. Time to get your head out of your ass. All right. And, you know, and do what you, and do what you're, you were put here to do. That's cool. And that, and that is to help others and protect others. Right. So. Now did that, did that, did that sensation, that burden that you felt internally, did that come from someone? Did your dad instill that in you? Did your uncles or, or your friends, or was just this some, this feeling inside you that you felt like you had a higher calling to serve? I felt like I had a higher calling to serve. And also I've been around my, my father deals with people in the worst times of their life. Right. Okay. My father's funeral director. Right, a funeral director. Oh my gosh! He is he is dealing with people at the worst times of their life, and he has a special skill, I should say, you know, where he can take a family who has just lost their father, their mother, you know, whoever, and they're obviously sad, right? And he can bring them into the arrangement office, sit down with them for an hour, two hours, and he can have them laughing by the time they're leaving. Wow. Right. And he, he helps people on a daily basis, get through the worst time in their life. Right. And I, I always looked up to that in him, you know, and my, my father always said like, Brad, I don't want you to become a funeral director because you're going to be on call 24 seven and you're not gonna be able to do anything with your family. Right. So I made a decision to become a cop and I'm in a detective <laughs> now. So great job, Brad. Right. <laughs> on call 24 choice. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, um, so I always looked up to that my father, and and that's kind of what I wanted what I wanted to do. Yeah. And you know, it, it takes you know, 
police work really combines everything. You know, you're helping people in the worst time of their worst time in their lives. Sometimes, you know, because in the middle you know, of it. that's the difference. Yeah. They're, you're in the middle yeah. of the chaos, yeah. right exactly. in the middle, you know, and especially when I was in, cause I, I served in really three, three squads in my entire, you know, throughout my law enforcement career, I was in, started out in organized crime. Right. Um, you know, cause there's no, no organized crime where I live. Right. You know, <laughs> it's where it's, <laughs> so, it's where it's birth was yeah. in the United so, States. Right. So, you know, I, I, you know, I got, uh, I worked in that. Okay. And, um, I, then, um, I was in, uh, uh special victims. Can, can I, can, as you go through each one, yeah. can I ask some questions? Because, sure. you know, organized crime, there's this sensation that, okay, these people know what they're doing. That's it's a part of the culture. This they've 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 committed to this lifestyle. It's orca. It's organized. There's hierarchies. There's a system of mm-hmm. of success in place through criminal activity. So did you get a sense like, man, th- this is this really has meaning. This type of police work has meaning because no, it does. all type of police work has meaning. Right. Okay. On. That, it, it's got, it's got, it's, you know, there, there, there's meanings in different sort of ways. Right. Okay. Um, you know, this had its meaning because, you know, sometimes um, they're taking money out of hard workers pockets, right. To, to uh, they're extorting them criminal usury, you know, um, and stuff like that. And, you know, why should, you know, the, the hardworking guy, you know, be having to kick up money to, to this guy just because he wants to work here. You know, yeah. Not, so, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's got, it's got its, you know, use and meaning and, you know, um, but the, the biggest one for me was when I went to special victims. Right. Wow. Okay. And, now what, can you describe what special victims you do? Right. Yeah, you know, okay. Uh, you know, one for you, it's, you know, you're dealing with, uh, crimes of sexual nature. Right. You're dealing with, uh, child abuse. Oh. Right? And, and I was, um, you know, that, that had the biggest impact on my life right there because you were actually doing God's work and yeah, getting man. pure evil off the street. Pure evil. There's not. There's no greater evil. And I think the yes. consensus it doesn't matter around the world. You know, the 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 manipulation and destruction of a child is mm-hmm. the worst offense there is imaginable. 100%. Right. Even 100%. criminals have retribution for that yes. type of behavior. Yes. Right. We yes. all are. Aware. Yes. So how long in that in that job before you saw something that's that literally was permanent? In, in your memory as, oh my God, I'm in a whole nother level of okay. evil now. Um, I mean, they're, they're, you know, from the, from the first case that I got in there when I was in 2013. Um, but there was one case in particular that I had. Um, and it's, it's funny because it's going to come back later in my life. Right? Okay. Um, it was a case where I had a, a nine month old baby who had uh, overdosed. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was on, um, it was from, uh, overdose of heroin. Wow. Right? And this baby's almost dying and, um, the mother's there, you know, and long story short, the, the mother and the boyfriend were snorting dope in the bedroom and uh, back on the floor, baby picked it up with his mouth. Right. And, um, I had to go to Columbia Presbyterian hospital, go visit this kid, go look at him. Right. 
And I had never, ever cried before as a police officer while I was working. Mm-hmm. This was the first time I ever shed a tear. Wow. And I literally had to walk on out because you see this baby intubated, unconscious. I'm like, what did this kid do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. And the hate and anger that just started brewing in my body, right? I could feel it, right? And um, I didn't know how to cope with that at that time, right? And what I, yeah, except for one way, and that was to drink. Yeah. Had you, had you, I know by 13, though, the, the awareness of post traumatic stress on the job had started to percolate and becoming a thing. Had you been exposed to any classes or anything like that? Had they, had they said, hey, listen, you're going into the most difficult unit there is, right? Yeah. Uh, you need to be aware of, of these things. I mean, th- th- there has been some talk about it, but always, it's always been the stigma in law enforcement that you, know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't go talk to a therapist. You don't, you don't raise your hand to do anything because you're perceived as being weak. And then what happens? And then it just, everything just compounds, compounds. And, you and, know, and you're pulled offline. Exactly. Shut down. Nobody exactly. wants to work with you. Exactly. All, all, by the way, you know, based in some fact, but what you later learned also totally based up. in your own perspe- yeah. perceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, but it, yeah, they have said it, but like, you know, it's not spoken about like to go talk to someone, you know, it's, it's, you know, people see it as being frowned upon. And yeah. I can tell you right now as being someone who has gone through all this stuff, that is the complete opposite. People, supervisors want you to go talk to someone. Right. right? Um, we actually have developed a state resiliency program. The attorney general has actually started a state resiliency program. Wow. Where he's mandating that every single police officer go through this program. And basically what it is, it's a, a way to cope with all this stuff, right? Right. And I'm actually a master resiliency trainer. And my job is to go out and teach all these guys all this stuff. Well, you know? I want to get to that. I want to absolutely yeah. hear what you're teaching, how yeah. you're teaching and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, but first, let's go back because the, the progression of, of trauma seems mm-hmm. to be picking way up in your life now. You're, yep. you're, you're seeing this kid. They're intubated. You walk out filled with this hatred. Yep. What happened next? And then, you know, I, we had to go step to, step to, the, to the suspects, you know, and it, it was just like I, like I never wanted to put someone through a wall before <laughs> my life. This kid, you know, because I, I was just so angry. Yeah. Angry. And, um. It just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just started right there. I, I was drinking, you know, uh, you know, people would say, oh, how do you deal with that? How do you cope with all this stuff? Oh, I got two friends, you know, Tito's and James. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, man. It's so true. You know, it's so that, true. That's what because, I would do. Because, you know, you're next to your body, you know, and you're like, God, that was fucked up. And you're like, yeah, man, horrible. And you're like, let's go get a drink, you know, yeah, exactly. instead of, hey, man, let's go talk to somebody about this because that was horrific. And I have this image of this half dead kid and these, these junkies in my head I, I can't get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, the, the, what's, what's funny is this, is that drinking is socially acceptable amongst cops, right? But talking about your feelings is, is not. 
All right. And which is more healthier? What is, well, well, now you're getting to the root cause of all societies, right? Yeah. Right. The greatest yeah. challenges we, fe- we, we face are not having the discussions that need to be discussed exactly. because of some, of some presumed yeah. sensation of weakness, whether it's exactly. political weakness, whether it's physical weakness, whether it's emotional weakness, spiritual weakness. When we get into those, those very complicated states, we don't want to talk about it so everybody's on the same sheet because yep. nobody wants to appear as if they're, they're not, they don't have their shit together. Exactly. And that's the whole thing. Like us as cops, I'm sure, you know, you as, you know, being a team's guy, you want to appear to be a robot, right? Like, I love that. I love that. Bother you, right? And it just rolled like water off a duck's back. Oh, yeah, no, it's nothing, man. You know, I mean, no, it, it impacts you. Right, dramatically, direct trauma or vicarious trauma, it impacts you in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, right. And I can tell you right now, if you are saying that the shit that you have seen, either as a, either either as being in the military or as being a first responder, if you say that it does not affect you, I'm calling bullshit on you right now. Because it, it, it does. It's fascinating to me that there are still people out there that are insistent upon it. Right. Like mm-hmm. my favorite ones are are my buddies that you know are the best operators I've ever seen. The most proficient. Yep. These guys are in, impeccable operators. I mean, the the best that the world's ever known, right? And some of these guys have you know dozens of confirmed kills, and they're like, nope, not one of them doesn't affect me at all. And I'm just like, mm, nope. and, uh, it's that's when you need to go talk to someone. It, exactly. if, if you're saying that it's not affecting you, you need to go talk to someone. Because yes. it may not be affecting you right now, but in 10, 15 years, you're going to be bouncing off of walls. Absolutely. And not Absolutely. sleeping and you know, experiencing all those things that post-traumatic stress does to a person. Well, let's talk about those things. So now you're into the special crimes in the special – had you joined SWAT yet? No, I had not. Okay, so you're in this, you're going, and you're seeing just case after case yeah. after case. You're drinking now regularly – uh, when do you start to really, looking back, obviously now looking back, when can you point that it started to weave its way into all of your behaviors, all of your relationships, into your personal life everywhere? Oh, God. <laughs> from probably from day one when I was a cop. Really? Yeah. It was, it, you know, it, 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 it really taken over everything like i wouldn't just say that like oh i'm just gonna go have a drink tonight no i'm gonna go get fucked up yeah you know i'm not just gonna have one or two i'm gonna have one or two dozen yeah you know that that's the way it was and but like for instance okay you know i have two boys i have a five-year-old and a three-year-old okay i see and my biggest regret is when my when both my sons were born, I was not there for them. Wow, both I, births. I no, I know the birth I was there for. I'm, okay, talking okay. About, I'm talking about being there to raise them as a dad. As a dad. Oh man, right? I feel you. And because I was just checked out, and every time I think it is, it, it, it just it chokes me up because I know I'm better than that. Well, the 
Well, th- hold on, though, a second, though, Brad, because you know you. No, I, I was in a dark place. Yeah, man, you're you're, you're, you're yeah. literally you're literally sick. you're literally coming from bearing witness to a 12 year old girl who's been gang raped by whatever yeah. and and infused with drugs and crazy. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting on your knees trying to play Legos with your five year old. Yeah. Man, that transition. I don't know. No, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, but I mean, the, the thing with me was, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't make the, I couldn't get the connection. Right. You know, you know, did you feel like you were dead inside? I've heard that term used a lot. Honestly. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. You know, right. You know, but now, you know, the release of my kids is phenomenal. Oh, I can't wait. And I, and I, and yeah. I want, and I want to talk about that process, how you rebuilt those relationships. Yeah. Cause I think that's a huge thing for many people to realize it's not, you haven't lost. It's not no. over. No. It's not, you're not defeated. You can if, regain it and pull it if back. You're still breathing. You're in the fight. Exactly. Thank you. You know, you're not, you, it, the fight's not over unless you're dead. Yeah. All right. So now you're in the special unit. You're, yeah. you're drinking, you're checking out from your family, you're experiencing yep. all these other issues. What in your wildest dream said, all right, kicking doors would probably be a good idea for uh, me. Oh, I, I've, I've always wanted to do that. I've always, <laughs> right. You know, there's I mean, an allure to it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm six, five, 300 pounds. You know, I'm built to, you know, kick doors. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pipe hitter, you know, and yeah. <laughs> it's just, I wanted to do it, you know, coming yeah. from military, you know, military background, you know, with all my training at West Point and stuff like that. I, I, I wanted to do that. And um, I, I love everything that SWAT for, stands for. I love, you know, the, the, the biggest draw to it for me was the brotherhood. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah, the camaraderie. Yes. The camaraderie. And, 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 it, and, it for, and, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, yeah. if you could clarify what the camaraderie is and why, why it's so enticing. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it's the closest thing that I could get to that experience in college playing football. Yeah, man. Especially, you know, on the Army football team where, you know, it's a brotherhood, you know. And this, it's – you're with a bunch of guys who are willing to give your life, their lives for you. And you're about to do the same, you know? Exactly. People and, can't fathom yeah. that. Yeah. No, you, you don't you, understand. You it. not understand it unless you have been in that type of unit, yep. whether it be in the, in the teams, you know, in, in you know, an SF. HRT, or, anything. anything. Yep. If anything you're with. You like that, you cannot understand it. And, and, and for me, that was what it was too. And, and every guy I asked that question to, or I talked to, whether I'm interviewing or whatever, I, you know, it's, it's about that. All right. Describe that. And to the person, it's knowing that I'm going to go, I'm, I'm choosing by my own yeah. free will to go into a situation that my death is, there's a high probability of my death or the death of one of my teammates, mm-hmm. but yet Shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. Yep. We're going to do it anyways because it has to be done. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that, that was the biggest draw. Yeah. For me, you know, and um, what happened was I eventually, I tried out for the team, um, made the team. I was transferred to uh, narcotics at the time. Ooh. Right. And, um, you know, 
and that's you know that's when well, that's when the fun began. You know, I was out in the street running, gunning, you know, playing that cat and mouse game. You know, um, and uh, it was and fun. Let me, let me ask you this because you know we use terminology like games, right? It, it yeah. was game, the game, right? And and it's because of our athletic background. It's how yeah. we process the thing, and you know, and I think sometimes people hear us talk and they don't understand our our language. They don't understand <laughs> our euphemisms or whatever. And so, you know, they, they think that the way we describe something, there's an insensitivity to the, the reality of what well, no. it is. And, and that's what, I, and I'm like, listen, you can take your, your academic perspective of how I'm describing the terms I'm using, but until you run into a house where someone's got an AK, you know, four kilos of coke and they've you know they've already killed three people in their lives don't don't tell me i i you know you're gonna you're gonna chastise me for how i describe this right no it it, you know because it's it's basically you know it's not a game right you know (laughs) it's it's how we describe it like you said you know it's a lot of surveillance a lot of uh you know doing uh a lot of working with confidential informants. Yeah, man. Stuff like that. It, it's, you know, just you're doing that proactive police work where before I was doing reactive stuff. Now yeah. it's proactive, right? Now you got to be out there constantly, constantly, you know, producing cases and, you know, doing stuff. And uh, I worked with some great, great guys in that, uh, in that squad. You know, some of my uh, closest friends, right, are, are, you know, I've worked with in that squad and are still in that squad. Um, again, that that squad has a has that camaraderie also because again you're going into high risk situations right with you know guys to your left and your right you know knowing full well that you're at that you know higher risk of being killed or something happening to you and you're going to do it anyway right because it's your job right yep. it's that you you had that that camaraderie there as well but again not to the level that like SWAT was or SWAT right. you know um, so I mean I loved I loved being in there. You know, and uh, it was did fun. your did your did the negative behavior? So as your as your sensation of fulfillment climbs, right? Uh-huh. Your exposure to danger, your exposure to the very worst of the world, right? The criminal mm-hmm. elements, the negativity of the human yeah. condition, addiction, drug abuse, manipulation—all these things. As you keep climbing, is you, are your negative behaviors mounting too? Yeah. I mean, you know, everything was just growing exponentially. You know, I mean, my some days we would, you know, some like, like I would plan, you know, my Friday because you know, you know, happy hour and stuff like that. I would plan how I'm going to go out and get drunk that at five o'clock, right? Wow. I mean, there were times where I would go to my local my local bar. You know, we'd get cut early or something like that, and I go to my local bar, right? And it would be five o'clock and I've already had like six drinks in me. Wow. And I would go out into my car to turn on the car to connect to the Bluetooth and call my wife to say, Hey, I'm going to stop at the bar for a couple of drinks. Do you want anything to eat? Right. So make it sound like I'm actually on my way home from work. Yeah. 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 You know, this is like the, 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 like who thinks of this stuff, right? And addicts and alcoholics, that, right? You know? <laughs> the so, very you're hunting down, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, here, you know, and, and that's, thing. and that's here, what I would do. I wouldn't come. 
here's the thing, Brad, I, all human beings do this. It's part of our behavioral mechanisms, right? We, in our, in our ability to be able to push something off and, and oh, yeah. justify it. So it yeah. fits, it, it, it alleviates our own guilt. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent, you know? And so, you know, you know, uh, next thing I know, I'd be coming home at 11 o'clock and I have, you know, ice cold food from my wife who's eight months pregnant. Wow. I think it froze up on me. Yeah, yeah, uh, no. yeah. Yeah, no, so, I mean, it was- I think it's, all right, it just start from, start from right where uh, you just said I would come home with my wife. Yeah, no, I, I would come home with, you know, food that's ice cold at like 11 o'clock at night and my wife, you know, is eight months pregnant and- you know, she didn't eat and I'm coming home stumbling through the front door. Like, why, like, why do I need to have the need to drink that much? Yeah. You know? And I, you know, again, I just thought that it was, I thought it was normal. Let me ask you, know, you this, Brad. Let me ask you this. Did you being your size and I'm sure you took the reins as wanting to be the most aggressive. You, you really were, you know, Hey, listen, this is, this is my past. You can count on me. And did that bleed in? Because I know, I know in our unit, we become super competitive, right? We pee, oh, yeah. we, you know, who can pee the fastest in a urinal? Yes. Who can, who can, who can get their kid off? Who can yep. slam the most beers in a row? Yep. You know, and that bleeds into our social behaviors as well, too. Did you find that that was also, be, you wanted to be the, the most, the, the most, the best SWAT cop as well as the best drinker too? Did you find that? Uh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I don't, I don't really, I don't even think if I like, if that was a goal in mind, but I, it, it, I definitely was because the where I ended up, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it, exactly. Well, I got, I got the gold medal on that one, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's gold, gold plated. Gold exactly. Plated. <laughs> right. So, but it's, you know, you said we are competitive, you know, we are competitive and that is where that whole feeling of, feeling of failure came from yeah because i would not if i didn't uh like let's say if i wasn't picked for something if like i wasn't picked for this job like they were picking guys you know from other squads like all right yeah hey you know you're gonna go here you know i wouldn't i'd feel like i was a failure you know i'd feel like i i wasn't good enough to be on the job for that job that may not be the case maybe someone with different skill set you know, maybe they didn't need a breacher, you know, maybe it was a, a small, small apartment, small house where I can't navigate as well being six, five, 300 pounds. <laughs> or maybe a guy who's, you know, five, six, a buck 20 can, you right. know? Um, so, but that, that's, that's how I would think, right? I would always think negative about myself, negative, negative, negative. You know, there was nothing positive that I would think, and, but that all changed, obviously, you know? Um, but you know, once I got, you know, when I was on SWAT and narcotics, it was, it, it was great. You know, I was, you know, wearing plain clothes every day, you know, wearing the, you know, then we'd go, you know, when we get activated for the jobs and stuff like that, throwing the green cries, you know, like wearing pajamas, it's great, you know, living life. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would use the excuse, oh, I'm just blowing off, you know, blowing off steam on, you know, on a Friday. Yep. And it blown off steam led to drinking a handle of vodka on a, on a Saturday. 
whole right. handle. Whole, whole handle. Right. How rapidly did you get to that? Uh, well, there was a period of, I, I got to it. Uh, and then I, I stopped, right, because I had actually gotten in trouble, right? Um, and I was told, you know, I made a comment saying, oh, man, you know, I think I really need to stop drinking. I've been drinking a little too much. Maybe we need to calm it down a little bit. And I went up the chain. And eventually my chief says, uh, listen, we're going to send you for fitness for duty. And I had never, ever, ever, ever been called to the carpet before. Right. Never. Even at West Point. Right. I've never been called to the carpet. I never walked a single punishment tour at West Point. Wow. Right. You know, I mean, I got caught, right, with stuff. You know, I did have 20 hours. And then uh, I want to say it was President Bush came on in and, like, gave us all, you know, took all the, took all the punishment tours away. So I was like, oh, it's great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I never walked a single tour. You never got in trouble, you know, as a, uh, as a cop. Yeah, this is my first time, and I, I was that fear of the unknown. I know what to expect, and I was very, very emotional. I was like, holy shit, like, what's going on? Were you angry? Yeah. I was angry at myself, you know. A lot of anger towards myself, you yeah. know. And um, I, you know, had to go had to go talk to the doc, you know, and three months later, I was cleared. And uh, Did you I, have to do any kind of recovery in there? No, no, Nothing. Just, no, hey, no. We trust you. Three months. Yeah, three months I was good. You know, and then, okay. and then uh, I remember. Did your did your home relationship improve in those three months? Too? It, 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 it did. It did a little bit. It did. Um, you know, I, I started connecting with my kids a little bit more, my wife and stuff like that. It did, but I there were still there were still demons that were inside of me. You know, okay. and I remember I was I was um, I was good. You know, and I went to dinner with my wife. And um, she goes to me, hey, uh, you know, you've been doing so well. Why don't you, you know, why do you order a glass of wine? You're having, you're having lamb chops for dinner. Why don't you have order a glass of wine? I'm like, you know what? You just gave me the permission. Let's go. <laughs> right? Order a glass of wine. I take one sip, right? And, um, you know, in walks one of my supervisors. And I'm just like, get rid of this. I hand it back over to her. Yeah. And uh, that was, a, to me, that was a sign from God. Like, quit the shit right mm -hmm. did i listen to that sign no no we're not gonna listen to that shit. right <laughs> so that that one little sip led to that um habit where i was on the way home stopping at a liquor store picking up two pints of jameson drinking one pint in the two minutes that it took me to get from a, from the liquor store to my house a it full pint a full pint in right the two minutes to yep. get home Right to the head. And, and, and let me ask you this. When you would finish the bottle and set yeah. it down, right, because that knocks the edge off you. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and you're like, were you, were you like, man, all right, now I'm good. I'm okay. Now I'm good. Now I can go to the house. Yeah. Right? I, would, I, you know, I, I would think I was Mr. Clever, right, and I would, you know, drink the, drink the bottle of Jameson and throw a dip in. Thinking I would mask the smell of the booze, I'm like no, it makes it worse, right? Like, totally. she, I think my wife's dumb. She's smart as hell. Yeah, and you know, it just got to that point. Yeah. You know, All right, and was, so now you're 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 at the place where you're you're moving into where you're you're just destroying your body, yeah. you're destroying yourself mentally. Yeah. What What was again? Take us back to that that catalyst moment where you decide that's it. 
uh, I, I'm, I'm done. Uh, why did you want to end it? I didn't want to hurt anymore. I felt like I was a failure to everyone in my life. I felt like I was a failure to my parents. Felt like I was a failure to my wife because I did not uphold the vows to her. I felt like I was a failure to my kids, all right, because I wasn't the father that I should have been. Felt like I was a failure to my in-laws because I did not take care of their daughter. Felt like I was a failure to the guys in the SWAT team because I was not my 100%. You know, and it's like I said, a failure to everyone. I feel like I was a failure to everyone. Complete and failure. A complete fail, complete, complete failure. Yeah. And I didn't want to hurt anymore. You know, and um, meanwhile, meanwhile, though, you're still going to work and you're still, you're still taking criminals off the street. Yeah. You're still, yeah. You're still maintaining there. You're, yeah. you know, you're, yeah. you're, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm doing a good job at it, but I'm still like broken inside. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I can tell you my, my, my squad mates, when I, when I would come into work in Narco and it would be 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm pissed. I'm walking through the door pissed off already. And my God, my buddies are like, Brad, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. What the hell are you mad at? Right? And I'm saying, oh, I woke up today. Right? Like, come on. You woke up today. It's a gift. Yeah. And I was getting mad. Yeah. Was it because, were, were you angry because that's what you thought you needed to feel in order to do the job? Yes and no, all right? So yes, because I was going out there dealing with, with bad people. Right, right? right. I need to put up that facade. You have to match, you have yes. to match their evil with your yes. evil. Yes. Yeah, I but know the, that well, man. Yes, but the other reason is this. I am a very, very, very emotional individual. Me too. Okay? And I did not know how to manage that. I was made fun of for it as a little kid. I was bullied, right? Wow. So what I had, I was, I was bullied a lot as a kid, you know? And what I had to do was I had for to- what? Put, what were you bullied for, bro? For being a big kid, for being a fat kid, for being yeah. the kid with red hair, for, you know, being the kid with, with uh, zits all over his face, you know? You know, in high school, it was every woman's dream, you know, that you know, big fat kid with, with freckles. I mean, with zits and stuff. I mean, come on. What high school girl wouldn't want that? You know, so I felt like I, like I didn't belong, right? And, and the thing was, when I drank that beer, that first beer, that's when I felt, oh, wow, I belong, you know? I'm and good. Exactly, right? Got that liquid courage, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so, but the thing was, like, I had all these emotions inside of me. And as I grew older, I didn't want people to see that for fear of them judging me. Yeah, so man. So I put up this facade, right, of being angry to keep people away from me, right? And it worked. You Hell know? yeah, it worked. Uh, people, people, people wouldn't associate with me out of work because They're of the afraid. way I acted. They were yes. afraid of you. Yes. They didn't want to be around me because of the way I was acting, right? For, for fear of how I could act, right? Um, 
And I perceive that as, oh, they just didn't like me. No, they liked me, but they didn't want just want to be around me because I was an asshole, <laughs> right? And and that's and that's and that's another thing too, right? Like people say, like you know, I'm allergic to alcohol, right? I seriously am because when I drink it, I break out an asshole, <laughs> right? You know, and that, that's honestly what what would happen. It would be like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, yeah. right? And it would be bad, and. Um, but yet you in your mind are perceiving it as, oh, I'm, I'm having free. a great time. I'm having a great I'm the life of the party. I'm oh, yeah. I feel great. I'm I'm okay now. I'm everybody accepts me for what I yeah. am. And the shit that I've had to watch and see over the very yeah. worst of humanity, yeah. I've got that under control. I'm gonna hold it over yeah. here. See, now the, the the other thing you talk about everyone accepts me, all right? I wanted everyone to accept me. Because I couldn't accept myself. Exactly. Right. I was, I was not upset, uh, accepting of myself for the longest time. And it wasn't only until I learned to accept myself and love myself for who I am. Right. That's when everyone else's opinions didn't fucking matter to me. Yeah, man. Right. Because I know who I am. I know the person I, I know who I am. I, you know, I know the person I am. I, I, I am comfortable with myself yeah right and i love myself and i have never in my entire life loved myself wow right? and now i do wow well let's right. talk about let's talk about how that happened let's talk about how you began to love yourself again so you've gotten in touch with wally yeah uh, you, you know he's it's someone that you trust and believe because of what he's gone through the type of man he is Mm -hmm. and, and he says, hey, man, let's call up Tom Spooner, a former Tier 1 Delta operator who started yep. Warrior's Heart, and let's get you down there. Walk us through that process and, and, and what did that look like? Okay, so I remember it was, uh, you know, uh, I, had to do the, I had to do the phone interview uh, with them, and I remember talking to my dad while I was in the hospital, and my father was like, Brad, this place looks amazing. Right. I mean, this looks like you're going to a you know, five-star resort, you know, I'm like, and I'm getting all excited and stuff like that because I'm actually going to be around people that I can relate to. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and I remember I got picked up by my commander, my SWAT commander and another guy that's on the team that I work with on uh, the morning of new year's, new year's day. Like I want to say it's zero five. They picked me up. Right. And drove me down to Newark Airport, and uh, I remember we almost actually, we I think we hit a patch of ice. We almost flipped, we almost flipped the truck, and I remember that on the way down, and we we're like, "Oh God, I'm gonna die before I even get there!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> God's not gonna let you. Yeah, no, right. So, so I, uh, you know, get there. My my one buddy uh, flew with me to San Antonio. Wow. Right? Um, you know, just wanted to make sure I was getting there all right. You know, and. Uh, I don't know if my buddy was volunteered or he volunteered to do it, but either way, you know, he was there and that meant a lot to me, you know? Huge. And, um, you know, so we're the plane. I get there, we, you know, and, and I basically get handed off to this other gentleman who picked me up in this, you know, in a, um, in a, in a, in a vehicle, in a, in a, uh, SUV. Um, and I get driven out to Warrior's Heart. And I remember that 45-minute car ride, um, talking to this gentleman, similar experiences. You know, he was a, you know, he, he was a cop. 
Uh, he was a government contractor and all this stuff. We're just sharing experiences. Wow, I can really relate to this guy. And then when I get out there, it, it was like I walked into a little slice of heaven because like, I remember the first things people saying to me, they're coming on up to me and saying, welcome home, brother. And I'm like, wow, I feel normal, right? Seeing all these people around, around here, you know, I'm like, I feel great. You know, I'm not, not great, but I mean, you know, it's New Year's Day. And I'm still in a treatment facility, but I'm starting to feel better about myself, you know, because I know that I know right now I'm on the right path because us as, you know, as operators, you know, we, there's nothing more we like to do than work, right? And I had to put in work and I knew that there was work ahead of me, right? And I'm willing to do that, right? So I was excited. But at the back of my mind, I was, I still had that anxiety about whether I was going to have a job when I got back. Yeah. How I was going to support my family. Um, whether or not I was going to be accepted by everyone when I got back, you know, because, you know, even though they say it's hush hush, you know, rumors spread, you know, fast. And, you know, fast. And, you know, you, you could be saying, Oh, Brad, you know, Brad got a cut on his finger. Next thing you know, Oh my God, Brad broke blood out last night. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way this shit works. Let's have you a know? debrief on it. <laughs> exactly. So, but I mean, they, you know, my, my commander did the right thing. He, uh, he called an all hands meeting with the team and, um, Told them enough of what they should know, right? And um, remember how I was saying how I thought everyone hated me? Yeah. I had a three-day blackout period where I couldn't communicate with anyone outside of the facility. And when I finally got my phone after those three days, I turned my phone on. And my phone lit up like a Christmas tree because I had like 150 text messages on it. And every single member of the team reached out to me. Everyone? Every single one. God bless them. And... I literally cried because I thought that no one liked me. I thought they all hated me, right? Because I hated myself, you know? And uh, all during those 42 days I was there, you know, I was maintaining constant contact with guys back home, you know, talked to my chief, you know, he assured me, listen, Brad, you you know, you're going to have a job when you get back. We want you, we want you good. We want you fixed. We don't want broken Brad. We want fixed Brad. Cause imagine how good fixed Brad is going to be. Yeah, exactly. You know, so what about, I, your, uh, what about your wife during this time? Were you talking to her? Or oh yeah, no, we were talking, you know, we would talk every day. Um, you know, we would talk every day and, uh, what about your kids? Did your kids know that, anything Did they, or was daddy they, just, no, they, they, they thought I was out of, they thought I was out of work. Okay. I was away at training because I would go away for training and stuff like that. You know, we yep. would go down to Alabama with the team and stuff and, you know, I'd be away for extended period of time. So they thought I was at training. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, it was. Tell, tell me the moment at, at Warrior's Heart where that, that real catharsis moment where you're uh, uh, surrounded by people who have profound empathy, who have, who have profound understanding of what you're experiencing and there's a space for you to say all right i can be heard i'm okay and then the release hits you do you remember that time was yeah, it one- I mean, yeah i mean it was really like 
we would have group therapy sessions, you know, and just raising your hand and speaking about it and talking about it. Because to me, I feel that every time I speak about it, I heal a little more. Ah, absolutely, you man. Know? And I feel that, you know, this, this was all deep rooted inside of me. Right. And I feel every time that I talk about it, I cut one of those roots. Yeah, man. Right. And it's closer to coming to the surface and just getting right. Purging uh, it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I feel about it. That's why, you know, when I'm in the rooms, you know, you know, uh, the 12 step programs, I, I, I talk about it. I talk as much as possible. That's why I, you know, um, was it tough at first though, to get your words, to find your words, to, to find out, uh, where you were, were, cause I know a lot of times when I first started my pathway, I would find, I would, I would have an opportunity to explore some spaces in my, my mind and my heart collectively. And I hadn't gotten to the spiritual aspect of myself yet. And I would hit a, a, a place where I was confused and because I couldn't express my, my confusion and I wasn't getting the type of feedback that I, because I didn't get the opportunity to go to a, a treatment facility yeah. or like that, that I would be frustrated again, that anger would come flushing back. I'd shut it down and I'd go, you know, I'd resume. No, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, really? No. That's because cool. I felt that the more open I was about it, and talking about it, like I said, the better I would feel. And if it came off a little weird, oh well. If it came out a little jumbled, you know, it didn't make sense. I was still with my mouth and talking. You know, I wasn't that silent person in the rooms who was sitting in the corner just, you know, doing nothing, right? I'm not saying they're not doing anything, but not sharing, right? Because for me, sharing your experience, strength, and hope not only helps you but it helps someone else, right? And we as alcoholics, we are selfish, right? We were selfish, right, when we were, when we were out drinking. Right, right. Now, we're not. We're very, you know, we put others before ourselves. Selfless. Right? Yes. Yeah. And if I stay silent and do not share the things that I have gone through, the things that I have experienced, the things that have helped me out, that is the biggest act of selfishness that I can think of because you're not sharing that magic, right? You're not sharing God's, God's story, you know, you're, you're, all that stuff. Which is your story. Yeah. And you which know? is everybody's story. Mm -hmm. And everybody has suffering. Everybody has pain. And it's up to us to move into a position where we are heard yes. and our pain becomes a, a pathway out of the pain, right? Because of what we've experienced. Hey, this is what I went through. This is what I've experienced. This is what I did wrong. Here's what you could do. Please don't do it. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and learn from me. Learn, learn from, my from me. Right. right? And, and also learn that and know that you are not alone. Yeah, man. There are hundreds, thousands. Thousands. Right? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are out there that are going through the same shit you are. Okay? And 
raising your hand does not make you weak. No. Any stretch of the imagination, right? I tell people, I go, listen, if you think I'm weak for raising my hand, right, we'll go outside, we'll have a conversation about it. And I guarantee <laughs> you, you're going to realize that I'm not weak, right? Well, there's, there's physical weakness, yeah, there's mental weakness, exactly. there's emotional weakness, spiritual weakness. Yeah, I, you know, I, and what's crazy is all those things before, you're talking about emotional, right, spiritual, right, um, physical, and all that other stuff. I was weak before, but all those areas now, I am strong, especially my spiritual side. Oh, let, let's get to that. You know, as you're in this process, and how long were you at Warrior's Heart? 42 days. 42 days. So when did you notice, when did you kind of cross the threshold of that self-confidence coming back, where you were no longer afraid to speak out out of fear of judgment, where you were no longer afraid to speak out because of the perception of weakness, where, man, now I'm going to start to be the example. See, now, that, that really that's a hard question to answer. And the reason being is this is because when I left warrior's heart, okay. In the third step, it says to give your, your will and your thinking up to God as you understand him. Right. Um, I didn't give my will and my thinking up to him. I gave my drinking up to him. Right. That was it. You pick and choose. That's it. Right. Your vices. That's what exactly. we do. We pick right. and choose what the greatest societal misinterpretation of our demise is, right? Exactly. We, That's here, right. Everybody focus on the alcoholism. And yeah. Is that enough? Am I good now? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened. God took the drink away from me, and I'm sober. You know, God willing, going to be 18 months on the 25th. Congratulations, right. brother. Thank God you. Bless but you. it's he didn't take all the other things away from me, you know, and uh, I started doing things. Um, when I got back out of anger, because when I got back, uh, I, I had to go for a knee surgery for a, uh, from, from an injury that I sustained back in, uh, November of 2018, when I got hit by a, a, a car, you know, on a, on a, during an investigation, during a, during an arrest. So I had to go get the knee surgery done. And my wife tells me, she goes, listen, when you go get the knee surgery, don't, don't bother coming home. Right. Oh, so just go to your parents' house. Whoa. And this is a month I've been home. So I'm like, but. Uh, but I just did the work. Exactly. Right. I don't, looking back, look back then, right? So a year ago, I was pissed. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I did all this, da, 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 right? Get my knee surgery done. I wait a week. The house is on the market. <laughs> and I'm like, What? Oh my like, what gosh. Else is, you know, what's going on here, right? Looking back now, I don't blame her. Yeah. I don't blame her one bit, right? Because I would have done the same thing too if I was in her shoes, right? I wasn't fixed. I wasn't, I wasn't working the way I should have, okay? I was going through the motions, so to speak, right? Um, and, you know, I was going to AA meetings, you know, I, I love going to them, right? Because it helps me out so much, you know, but I wasn't complete. I didn't give myself up completely to God, right? And, um, and I continued to do stupid shit. Eventually we sold the house in July of 2019 and I got my own apartment and that's when everything went downhill. 
Wow. Right Again. Yeah. So yeah. You, you, you try, you, you make the effort like you, yeah. You, well, you're forced to do the effort. Otherwise yeah. you lose everything. So yeah. you get rock bottom, you do the effort, you, you go down 42 days, yeah. working the program, doing it, giving up alcohol, come home. And then all of a sudden, whambo, you're hit again. Yeah, I'm hit again. You know, and, and, and what happens is, you know, like you said, we sell our house. She moves down by her parents or rents a house down there. And I move into my, my old uh, SWAT deputy commander's apartment. Wow. Right? Uh, and, and I'm living there. And it's basically like uh, it becomes like a depression dungeon, right? What uh, a crazy description, yeah. and that's so yeah, perfect. seriously. It was there was depression no, dungeon, yeah, man. That's no, right. No, no sunlight coming in. Oh, you know, it's just uh, you know, a bed, uh, a bed, a couch, a TV, and you know, there was a, there was a kitchen, and it was just no Were picture. You working? Were you oh, working? Oh, yeah, that time? Well, I'm working. And are you are you working in SWAT and you're working on no, narcotics? No, okay, no, I was yeah. not. No, I was, I was taken out of there. Yeah, I yeah. Was, I was put into the courthouse, you know, yep. for obvious reasons, yep. you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just depressed, you know, and I'm upset because I want to get back doing work, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get back to, you know, to those active squads and being active, right? The camaraderie. Yes. But I forgot the biggest thing, one of the biggest things here, right? And I realized this finally um, was that, I'm, you know, I'm not in control here. Right? <laughs> I'm not. It's not Brad's show. No. It's God's, right? And God is going to put things in front of you when he feels that you are good and ready, right? So obviously at that point, God did not feel that I was ready to go back, right? But I – that addictive mentality came on out. I was like, I want that instant gratification. I want it now. God damn it. Give it to me. Right. But that's not how it works. No. God gives it to you. When right? he's ready. And yeah. when you start forcing shit, that's when shit starts to break down. Bad. Right? And that's exactly what happened to me. I started becoming depressed again. Right. Uh, and I just sunk into a deep state of depression and I started going towards, um, you know, going on, going on to various dating apps and stuff like that. And, you know, it just, it, it was a bad situ situation, you know? Um, and eventually, you know, uh, things got out of control. My wife pulled wind of this, right? And um, we, we, we worked it out, right? But then there was a, still a couple that, that hung around, right? That she didn't know about. And eventually, uh, you can see in December of uh, uh, 2019 is when I hit rock bottom again. Again. Yeah. And uh, it was basically this. This uh, basically what happened was uh, this one. This one individual told uh, told my wife about everything that was going on. Right. And I'm th and I'm thankful. And I'm thankful it happened. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mad, but I'm very thankful. Right. Very, very thankful. You the know, truth and, will set you free. Yes. And um eventually, um so what happened was that that Monday, right? I go, and this is what's crazy here. Now you want to talk about God working. This is when 
this is when God starts to work in my life. This is awesome. Right now, this, this is like, I consider this the good stuff that's coming up right now. Yeah. Um, God, God, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know what it is. And maybe one day he'll let me know. But for some reason, God said, listen, you need to learn. Right. You, you know, you know, he took me to school basically. Right. And, uh, so you need to start learning again. And, uh, I remember I went into a meeting, right. They, and I, I shared and I basically said, I said, I don't want, I want to live an honest and transparent life. I don't want to live a life of lying. I don't want to live a life of cover up because it has got me nowhere. It has got me nowhere. See, for that year that I was that I was sober for, I was dry. I was not sober. I was a dry drunk, right? I still had that mentality, and you can see where that where that mentality gets you, right? So, well, you 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 remove one vice for another. Yeah, one yeah. sin takes the place of another. Exactly. Exactly. So now. Um, I'm sitting there and I, and I start crying as I'm sharing the meeting stops and this gentleman comes on up to me and he starts talking to me and he goes, you need to become a prisoner. Whoa. I'm like, what do you mean? Whoa. He goes, well, you, you're a cop, you know about prisoners, Right. You tell prisoners when to when to eat, when to sleep, when to go to the bathroom, when to do all this stuff, when to exercise, all everything. You have complete control of their lives. You need to become a prisoner to God. Yeah, man. God needs to tell you when to do everything. And I'm like, holy crap, this makes total sense. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. Right? <laughs> yep. And yep. Uh, and he goes to me, you need to talk to he goes, you need to talk to Tyler. I'm like, Tyler. Right. I don't know, you know, it just happens to be someone I work with. Right. And he's a very spiritual individual. And so I go talk to him. I call him up right after this. And he's like, Brad, oh my God, I was going to call you because I was praying for you yesterday at church. And God spoke to me and said, listen, if, he, if Brad gives himself up to me, right. I have a plan for him that's beyond his wildest dreams and it's getting involved helping cops and veterans. Wow. Right. And, and I'm like, wow. Right. And so I'm going about my day and I get a phone call. I got to report to my, my chief's office. So I go into my chief's office and uh, in there is my chief, the deputy chief, my SWAT commander and the sergeant from internal affairs. And I look and I say, what now? Yeah. You know, what? I, I already defeated. You know, my chief goes to me, he goes, how did you, you doing? Oh, did you openly say that? What now? I'm no, I said in my mind. I said yeah, in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> I basically opened the door and said, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my ass started puckering a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I start, my chief asked me, he goes, how you feeling? I said, chief, I'm feeling good. He looks at me, he goes, don't fucking lie to me. How are you feeling? And I just broke down. I said, I'm not doing good. I'm depressed. Think things are not good. Not good. And so, like, all right, we'll get you we'll get you squared away. Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. 
And he's like, we're, we're not letting you, we're not letting you go. You're good. Right. Wow. We need you right. We need you fixed. And again, that is the true definition of leadership is him taking care of his subordinates. But right? that's the true definition of humanity. Yeah. You right? know, to take care of those you care about most. Yeah. There's a difference between administration, yeah. right? Which is what a lot of, you know, um, I guess police supervisors are like. They're more about the, the rules, the rules, the rules, right? The bureaucracy. That's, yeah. yeah. And then there's leadership we are actually worried about the person behind the badge or behind the uniform. Okay. And putting those, uh, putting those needs first. Right. And that's what he did. You know, um, you know, he, I mean, he was, he was just amazing with everything he did, you know, and I remember, you know, a, uh, a small part of my, uh, uh, plea knowledge. Right. Uh, up at West Point um, was uh, Schofield's definition of discipline, mm-hmm. right? And it, re- it basically says um, the discipline which makes soldiers of a free country rely on battle is not to be gained by harsh tyrannical treatment. On the contrary, such treatment is far more likely to destroy than to make an army, right? It says that the spirit, you know, that it's basically the bottom line here is is if the, the, the leader cares, it's going to create a corresponding feeling in the subordinates. A culture. Yes. And it's going to make them do more, right? Because I would rather be respected as a person than for my rank. Right? Amen. You Amen. Know, I respect him, right? as a person a million times over, right? I mean, great. He's got four stars on his shoulder, right? He deserves, he deserves that respect of being my chief, but the respect that I have for him as a person, right? Supersedes that. I mean, I, I, I will do anything for him. You know, he how prevalent, how prevalent is that style of leadership out there? You think within the law enforcement world, I can tell you in, in my, in the department I work in, it's very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very prevalent. I can't speak of others, but I know that it's not prevalent in others. Okay. We'll just, we're cops just care about themselves and moving up the chain. You know, we saw that too. We see it yeah. in, in the military. Once, once, once you're, it, it seems as if the further away you get from the harsh realities of the yes. world, Yes. Where, where, where instead of, you know, the work you're doing is to benefit your, the guy who's next to you in the stack. And then the, the citizens or the country that is, yeah. that, that feels the results of your effort, right? You know, once you're away from that and you get detached, that cognitive dissonance sets in. Yep. And that selflessness turn, reverts back to selfishness. Because yep. you're thinking about a pension, you're thinking about rank and, you know, all mm-hmm. these other things. But, you know, don't get me wrong. What you're saying is that within your department, man, that leader on his trajectory to where he, he's ascended to the top, he never lost sight of no. the importance of his people. Never. Because you know what? I mean, I can tell you right now that he would 
if something popped off, he would be there standing next to me, standing next to any of the detectives. Wow. That's the type of leader he is. He leads from the front. You know, he leads by example. And uh, Is that when now this process, so now you're in this room, oh, the oh fuck moment, yeah. and they said, hey, we got you. What ha- is that where you go to Sierra Tucson next? Yeah. And, okay. So basically what happens is I, you know, I, get, I get sent for, to go talk to another doc. And, um, and uh, so that night, so right after this meeting, I call. Are, I call can I ask real quick, yeah. were the qualities of your psychologist or psychiatrists or counselors, were they good? Were they good in the force? Are they awesome? To, the, the, the ones I, the ones that for the interviewed. Yeah. That you oh, had to go. phenomenal. That's cool. Like, like, <laughs> because that's a big, scary thing. No, them, right? I, I remember like walking, I remember walking into, to, to talk to the doc. And again, it's a fear of the unknown. I'm like, Oh shit. I got to talk to this guy. Like, you know, he, he's looking at me and I, you know, eyeing me up and I'm like, Oh shit. Right. I walk in there. I had the best conversation with him, <laughs> right? He tells me, he's like, I, you know, I speak two languages, right? I speak, you know, English and I speak cop, right? <laughs> he goes, I understand what you're going through, right? And he, like the way he told, like he understood me and it made me feel so comfortable. Yeah. Right. And he's like, we're, we're going to, we're going to get you through this. You know, um, he, I'm telling you, he's great. That, that's cool because I think a lot of people need to understand that. You know, I, I have several friends that uh, one friend in particular drank himself to death a few years ago as a result of all his stuff. Yep. And, and every, we did two interventions with him. We, and every time we'd send him to these VA based facilities, mm-hmm. he'd go through, he'd dry out, he'd come out, he'd go to his first meetings and he'd be with a counselor or whatever. And there was no connection made. Yeah. And so he never allowed himself the, the recognition that somebody that may not have been a Navy SEAL mm-hmm. still could help him, that, yes. right? That there was, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scientific methodology yeah. about exposing our own issues and what exactly. we do, right? Exactly. So, you know, so that Like night, they're, the, they're the operators of the mind, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're the tier one operators in the brain. Exactly. You know? So they, so like that, like after, after I had that meeting, you know, I called my buddy up, right? And I told him, I, I told him what happened. And he goes to me, he goes, are you ready? And I'm like, ready for what? He's like, are you ready to surrender? And I'm like, Tyler, like, uh, I don't, surrender's not my vocabulary, you know? It's like, no. You got to surrender yourself to God. Amen. So he goes to me, he goes, how do you like your coffee? And I'm like, I don't know. I gave him my coffee order. He's like, all right, I'll be at your apartment tomorrow morning at 08. Right? Sure shit. He comes on over next morning, 08. He's got two Bibles and he's got my coffee in his hand. And he goes to me, are you ready to hit your knees? I said, yeah. And I hit my knees. And I gave myself up to God at that point. And the things that happened from that point on are nothing short of, you know, it's God working. I mean, it's God, it's God a thousand percent. Let's thousand, hear it. You know, so all this, all this happens, you know, and uh, I'm leaving for Sierra Tucson on that, on that Saturday. December what is Sierra Tucson? Tell the listeners. Well, so, so Sierra Tucson is a facility out in uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, where they deal with substance abuse and uh, behavioral therapy, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
behavioral problems and stuff. And, uh, and how'd you find Sierra Tucson? So I, well, I found Sierra Tucson through my therapist, uh, through, not through the therapist, through, through the department doc who knew, who knows Bill Mazur, right? Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, God bless can, you, Bill. Yeah, Thank you yeah, for everything uh, you're doing. Lifesaver, lifesaver. You know, and, and, you know, I got in touch with Bill on the phone and we started talking and he got me enrolled there, uh, got me signed up, ready to go. And then he gets me in touch with another individual we know, Josh Adele. Oh, and, uh, let me tell you, can I just want to interrupt, man, because yeah. I know he's probably going to listen to this, but Josh, you are one of God's special, most incredible creatures there is on this planet. What you are, who you are, how you help people. And, and for those who, who are listening, Josh was shot in the head and, and on duty and survived and came back, but went through a, a whole host of issues, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and has come out of it and is now doing tremendous work within law enforcement community, not only in New Jersey, but also on the East Coast and around the country. Uh, I just, I can't say enough about this individual. He's one of God's true children in this life, man. Sorry. A thousand percent. No, I mean, uh, you know, Bill connected me with Josh, got me on the phone with him, and we had long conversations about what was, what to be expected, you know, uh, when I got to Sierra Tucson. And he was spot on. He, you know, he didn't pull any punches. You know, I get there. Um, so I, I departed. I was supposed to depart on a Saturday, December 14th. And it just so happened to be the day of the Army-Navy game. So I'm like, shit, I'm going to miss the game, right? So, but the day before, right? So I get introduced to this other gentleman by my buddy, uh, Tyler. And he says, hey, Brad, why don't you come to this group? We meet on a Friday morning at uh, 07. It's a men's prayer group. I'm like, okay. Have you know. ever done anything like that before in your life? The only ever type of thing I did similar to that was when I was with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, in college. Okay, okay. And we would meet up and do morning prayers and stuff like that. I believe it was on a Thursday or something like that. But uh, nothing in my adult years. Yeah, really. no. nothing since the time no. where you started no. confronting evil head on on a regular it all, basis. It was all as we call foxhole prayers. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You get yourself in a jam and shit. <laughs> you know, God, please help me. You know, if you get me that. out of this, if you I get swear me out of this, God. I'll never drink again. You know, yeah, all right. <laughs> right. So, um, but this is when I really, you know, started to become spiritual. And, That's cool, man. Um, I sat down with, uh, that, so that Friday I go to this meeting, right? Zero seven. And there is a, a, a gentleman there who, and he gets up and starts introducing himself. He is a retired major general from the army, right? West Point graduate. Right? Wow. And, uh, he wrote a book on spiritual resiliency. And I'm like, who is this gentleman? Uh, and what's uh, the name of the book? Retired major general D is called resiliency. God's way. Okay. Right. Um, and I'm like, God, you put me in this seat, right? I'm like, holy crap, right? And just listening to him talk, right? And he starts, and then he goes on to talk about one of my squad leaders from West Point, Captain Scott Smiley, you know, who was blown up by an IED over in Iraq. Wow. And became blind. And um, he persevered. And he drove on and he became a, he went to graduate school, got his, got his master's degree, came back to West Point as a, I believe a history professor. Wow. 
right? He's climbed multiple mountains, right? And he was, I want to say, the, the first blind active duty army officer ever. Wow. Wow. Right? And, you know, and he's talking about him. And I'm like, God, you are definitely, definitely talking to me right now. Right. Literally. So I get his book. Right. And, you know, I have a you know, long plane flight out to, out to Arizona. So I brought two books with me. Right. On the way out. It was one was this book from uh, Major General Dees. And the other one was written by uh, Sergeant Major Tom Satterley, all secure. Right. And I read that and I read that book. Um, you know, it, let me get back to the, the resiliency book. That, that book is phenomenal. If you, if any of the listeners have an opportunity to go pick that up, I would yeah. highly suggest it because it, you know, it, it combines resiliency and the spirituality portion of it. And, you know, for me, the spirituality portion of my resiliency has been huge, massive, huge. Massive. You know, that is really is what has gotten me through, right. Is the, re, is the spirituality. Um, and why, why, why I, so much? Cause I never had it, <laughs> you know, and I feel, and what is it, what is it in it? What is in, in your faith that allows you to have that sensation as if it's going to be okay? All right. So that, you know, growing up, I was raised Roman Catholic, you know? Uh, so I was forced religion upon me as a kid, you know? <laughs> My my grandfather was very religious. My the church is a place instead exactly. of a, instead of inside you. Yeah, exactly right. So I was told I had to go to church on Sunday, CCD. You know, I had to do all my sacraments. You know, all that stuff. Right. And once I got into college, and then you know, I'm sorry. Once I got into college, you know, my plebe year, it was every Sunday during Beast Barracks, I'd be going to church. So it was that one hour away from the cadre. I wouldn't be getting yelled at. <laughs> so that was it. And once that was over, it was, it, it was done. And I, I yeah. never really went to church, you know, except when I was helping my father at the funeral home, I go to the, go to the funeral home, go to the church for funeral masses. That's about it. So I really needed the spirituality portion of it because I started to realize that I am not in control. God is in control, right? And they say that the difference between religion and spirituality is this. Religion is for people who do not want to go to hell. <laughs> spirituality is for people who have been through hell. <laughs> I love that. And I have been through hell. Oh, that, wow. Right? Yes, you have. And I came out and the way I look at it is like, you know, in our fourth step, we, we, we go over our fears and stuff like that. Right. And I've given up all my fears. That's cool. Right. Like I'm definitely afraid of sharks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will not go somewhere in the ocean. Right. But I gave my fear of sharks up to God. Cause I know that, you know what? I go in the ocean. It's up to God. Right. Yeah. And God's going to protect me. Yeah, right. Man. And the way I look at it is if I keep doing the next right thing day in and day out, and worry about the things that I have control over. Me, Brad, has control over. I'll be good. It's when I start veering off that path and start trying to force my will onto other things, right, rather than letting God's will take care of it. And what's right. interesting, too, is, is that I'm hearing is that you, part of your journey, you know, that first step is that recognizing, mm -hmm. you know, you had talked about as soon as I 
recognized I hadn't loved myself. Yep. And, and with, the, with anybody's spiritual journey to recognize no matter what, no matter what I've done, no matter how bad I've gotten, no matter how, how twisted I've become, God never stops loving me. Yes. And so that's the starting point, the, the, the affirmation or reaffirmation in that mm-hmm. loving yourself, right? Because you know you, God loves you too. And, and that's what you live on. That's what you build on. That's the church, yes. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that's really when I started loving myself. Yeah, right, man. How good did that feel? Oh, let me tell you something. Because you're a big old teddy bear, bud. You're a big, I mean, like, I <laughs> you yeah. got a lot of love to give, brother. But, you know, my, 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 it was hard in the beginning to start to love myself because of all the destruction I have caused. Yeah, man. Right? I destroyed so many things, so many people's lives. Um, you know, my life, you know, my family's life, every, every, you know, have you ever seen the movie uh, Bronx Tale? Yeah, right? I love that movie. You know, when they got the guy, you know, they call him Mush, you know, because yep. everything just turns to Mush, right? Yep. That was me, <laughs> right? I was, I, I was that, you know, everything I touched turned to shit, right? You know, and now I'm starting, I, I'm starting to rebuild those things that I destructed. Yeah. Right? So I started, I started working on myself. Can you go to that, that meeting? Your friend Taylor takes you to that meeting. Cause I keep cutting you off on that. Yeah. And I'm sorry. And I know there's a powerful, powerful, powerful message in that story. Yeah. No, it was just, I I'm sitting there and I'm literally listening to God speak to me through this major general. Right. And Everything that was coming out of his mouth, I, I felt, I felt he wasn't talking to anyone else in the room except for me. That's cool. Honestly, he was just like everything that was coming out of his mouth had was directly related to me, and I was just, I was blown away, blown away, and I took that that spiritual high that I had, and I carried it into the next day when I had to board an airplane to drive across the country, right? To go start to work on myself again, right? So I get to Sierra Tucson and um, like I said, I, I read a book because when you get there, you have to go to, uh, it's called Copper Sky and it's, a, it's an acute facility where, you know, they basically have eyes on you 24 seven, right? Make sure you're not gonna do anything stupid, yep. right? And you know, I was fine. You know, everyone else was like, oh my God, this place sucks. I'm like, this place is like Shangri-La, trust me. <laughs> right? And they, they are, they are, um, you know, talking, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting there. Basically, all you could do is read, right? So we start reading these books, right? And I read Tom Satterley's book, right? And in Tom Satterley's book, they start talking about, he starts talking about his experiences and stuff like that. And towards the end, he starts talking about, you know, um, some other individuals that he had, that he had worked with down at Delta and uh, their experience and how they went to Warrior's Heart, right? And uh, some of the, and, and then, um, you know, Tom started talking about some of the, some of the things that he went through, right? Uh, some of the other treatments that he went through. One of them was TMS, Right. And for those people who don't know what TMS is, TMS therapy is basically, you know, they dumb it down. Basically, they, they, they put a uh, MRI magnet up against your head. Right. And it pulsates magnetic waves across your brain. 
and it clears new neural pathways, right? For your, for, you know, shit to travel across your brain, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not using those, those pathways that are, you know, that have the scarred, essentially scarred. Scarred, exactly. And for listeners, when you live in a hyper state of vigilance, your, your brain is producing so many negative or caustic chemicals that it disrupts neuropathways, neuro right? It, the neuroplasticity is, is tightened. You're not, as, uh, you're not as able to access certain aspects of your brain that help with emotional intelligence, right? It, you, get, mm-hmm. you get burned out, if you will, literally and figuratively, right? Your synapses and how that functions. So now this, this resonance treatment, right, is supposed to free up and, and, and allow new pathways to be created around the damaged areas. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. So it just so happens that they offered it at Sierra Tucson. And I'm like, holy shit, right? This is, you know, again, God working, you know? So I sign up for this and I do it. And that was a game changer for me. That was a huge game changer. You know, um, the EMDR therapy I experienced out there was huge also. Um, and, you know, while I was out there, something happened to me. Um, I was at a, uh, I was in a, a somatic experience therapy session, right? And I'm sitting there and the therapist is talking to me and she's got one of those like, like trickling waterfalls, you know, in her office, you know? And I hear, I hear the water coming down, cascading down the, the little rocks and stuff like that. And I think to myself, I go, wow, this reminds me of this little brook that I used to fish in as a kid. And we used to catch native brook trout. Wow. And I say to myself, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, I, I had so much fun back then, right? I need to have this fun and joy in my life again. And at that moment, that's when I decided to start pick up the sport of fly fishing <laughs> and we'll get to that later and how that really helped me out yeah, too. Yeah. But you know, at Sierra Tucson, um, I had a doctor out there by the name of Bill Reynolds and doc Reynolds is the man, right? You know, there's, there's no other you know phrase I could use to describe him. You know, uh, 30 year, uh, Navy vet, right. Was a, was a corpsman. You know, then he went into the Mustang program, went to the officer side and became a, became a doc. And, you know, I believe he served, served with the teams for a little bit over in Germany and stuff. And right. he's as real as they come, you know, and he gets the medical side. He understands the medical side. And more importantly, he understands the warrior side. Amen. Right? Yeah. So they have a red, white, and blue program out there to help out anyone, um, you know, any vets or first responders and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it's not like... So, cause you're, you're also with a general population out there, you know, it's not just, it's not like warrior's heart. We're just veterans, active duty military and first responders, right. you know, there's other people that are, that are uh, from all around the world that go there. And, uh, so talking with Bill, uh, Dr. Reynolds, I mean, he was, he was amazing. And, you know, I mean, you know, of course I was there over Christmas and, um, Christmas morning, I get back, I, you know, hit the gym with my one buddy. Uh, they became very close with out there, um, hit the gym, come on back. And, uh, there's a note from me saying that doc Reynolds was seeing me at zero eight in his office. 
I'm saying, like, it's Christmas morning. What the hell is he want to talk to me about? I'm like, shit. Now, thoughts, now this is the, the, you know, the way my mind works. I'm like, something's negative. Something happened. I'm like, is my family okay? You know, da, 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 right? I'm so in trouble. Whatever. Exactly. Right? So I, I'm sitting there, and um, he comes into his office, and he's got his German Shepherd with him, right? And he's got a, a, a tray of Starbucks. And he goes to me, here, Merry Christmas. Hands me a Starbucks. I'm like, Doc, thank you, man. This is great. You might have to drink that shit coffee that's over there. You know, <laughs> you know so um, I'm talking to him. And uh, he's like, how's everything doing? How's your family doing? How, how are you holding up? You know, I know it's Christmas. You got two young kids at home and you're not there. I'm like, you know, Doc, it sucks. But you know what? It is what it is. I'm here to get better. You know, there's many more Christmases that I can, uh, that I can have with them. He's like, yeah, it's a great attitude to have. You know, he goes, that's not the real reason why I uh, brought you in here this morning. And uh, I go, all right, what's, what would you bring me in for? He goes, um, I know today's a special day for you. It's not only Christmas, but it's your one-year anniversary, right? And I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, I didn't even dawn on me, right? Because I'm, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. He goes, and he reaches into his pocket and he hands me a one-year coin. He goes, I received this from some salty Navy vet out in Pearl Harbor. Wow. I'm to you. And I was like, oh, my God, right? I'm like, this, like, you could tell that this, that Doc Reynolds cares from the yeah. bottom of his heart, you know? I, I could just tell just by the way he interacted with us there that the way he probably interacted with his Marines when he was a corpsman and the guys that he took care of were, he put his men before himself. And that's what he was doing with us, you know? He cared about us so much. And, uh, he was, it was just great. It was a great experience. And then, you know, just th throughout that, you know, the, the bond we built was just great. And then right. you know, we, we still continue to talk to this day, That's you know, cool. checking on each other. Hey, how you doing brother? You know, and you know, he's great. You know, so how many, how many days were you out there? 30, 30 days. So it's 42 days at warrior's heart yeah. home. Recognize you need more. You go to yeah. 30 days at Sierra Tucson when you're leaving there, how, what's your confidence like? Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to get back? Are you ready to start doing the work here? And what's that look like for you? I was motivated, you know. Yeah, like you found I, I was like, all right, let, like all right, let's rock. Right. You know, I had to go to an IOP for for like six weeks, three days a week, um, bang that out, you know, and that time that, and I, I wasn't going to work, you know, they, they had me on admin leave. So that time I really focused on myself. You know, I was going to the IOP. I was going to the, the evening AA meetings. I mean, I, I was doing more therapy than I've ever done in my entire life. Right. Um, hitting the gym, doing what I had to do. I mean, it was like, you know, focus on Brad time. And on the weekends I'd see my kids. Right. And right. how is that relationship now? Did they, did they feel a difference? Notice a difference? Did they, let me tell you something. The, the relationship that I have with my kids now and with my, with my wife now, night and day. Hallelujah. I mean, granted, granted she's hurt. Understandably. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of healing that has to take place. Amen. Right. And that will happen in God's time. Okay. But the, like I said to her, you know, the only thing I can keep doing is keep doing the next right thing. 
you know, the next right thing. Um, and the relationship I have with my kids now, I've never had before. I, when I pull into the driveway to come pick them up or to, to go hang out there, they come running at me, running at me, daddy. And they, like, you know, I, mean, I got a five-year-old who's 72 pounds and I got a, five, a three-year-old who's 52 pounds. So they're taking me to the ground, you know? Um, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. I take right. it all the time now. It's, it's awesome. It's great. You know, and with, again, with my wife, it's just going to take, it's time. It's yeah. time. You know, and we did something huge. You know, I, I mean, we got to the point where I bought a, I bought a house for her, signed off on a house for her. Wow. And I'm not living there, but I signed off on a house for her because that's what a husband and father does. They take care of their family. Yeah. Before I wasn't. You know, that was the old Brad. New yeah. Brad, you know, I'm going to do that. Well, I always like to, I hear people describe themselves in that capacity. And I, I, I automatically, when I hear you say that, Brad, I think to that kid pulling trout out of that stream, that's who you are. Oh, yeah. Right? Prior, oh, yeah. To, prior to that shift in adolescence where you started to be self-conscious about your, your outward image <laughs> and the reflection of that negativity that was cast upon you and, and the doubt that it, that was seen yeah. and how it personified. Yeah. So that's who you are, right? We're oh, all yeah. good. I, I believe, I, I mean, man, I've been doing this long enough now to recognize, man, you know, very few five-year-olds, four-year-olds have hate in their heart. They're oh, yeah. not bad people. They're, yep. They learn this through whatever external experiences, yeah. Right, whatever their experiences are. And so now you're in this position where you're doing the next best thing every day. You're regaining your, your, the relationship with your children. You're, you're doing the work with your wife. And, I, and I, I hope and pray that both of you can come, yep. come to some resolution and regain that, that place of intimacy you once had before. How is your department now welcoming you back? And what do they want you to do now? What do you want to do? Do you want to go back to kicking doors and seeing the worst of humanity? Or what do you want to do? Let me tell you something. My, I, so I get called whenever things, when I'm, my therapy is all done, I, I go to my, um, I go into, uh, my chief calls me in and I go into his office. And again, you know, the fear of the unknown, you don't know what he's going to say. You know, you don't know how, you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. You You're know? so conditioned for it to be negative, exactly. but yet every step exactly. of this horrible way is proven to you it won't be. That's <laughs> exactly. that's how rigid behavioralism yeah. is, right? Is that yeah. when we connect that negative emotion response to any action or course of yeah. interaction, right? That's where it exists within those the doubt of relationships. When our relationships aren't strong with other people, there's an expectation of negativity that's going to ensue, especially when somebody's at a, a position of authority on you in some Yes, case, exactly. Right? right. So he calls me into his office and it's, it's funny enough, right? I'm standing in, in the middle of a river fly fishing when I get the call. <laughs> right. So I'm fishing. I'm sitting in the middle of the river. I'm casting around. My phone goes off. I look and I see this one sergeant. I go, hey, yeah. He's like, hey, the chief wants to see you at two o'clock. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Hang up the phone, reel my line in, go to my truck, take my waiters off. And, you know, I go home and change the shower. Yeah. And so I go into his office and it, it, I just had a different, it was a, there was a different vibe. Yeah, man. Different vibe. In you. In you. In me. In you. In him. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. The, we had a great conversation. That's I mean, cool. an awesome conversation. And um, the biggest thing he told me was, Brad, as he goes, no one will ever 
hold what happened to you against you. Oh, wow. Right. And I said, chief, that's all I wanted to hear. Yeah, man. All I wanted to hear. Right. Well, look at this in your, in your, in your place of, of presumed devastation, right? Where your assumption is that you're, you're mush. You've destroyed everybody and everything around you. Yeah. You, you now though, in his eyes are becoming the example. You're becoming the leader. You're, you're the person that can change, change the entire consciousness of an organization to say, Hey, we are not robots. Yeah. We are human beings that feel the effects of the most, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Yeah. And, and we can, we can fix this issue. We can change, we can evolve, we can grow, we can heal. Yep. Exactly. That's got to be a pretty powerful place to be in. No. And, and one, of the, one of the things he, he tasked me with, you know, was being this chief resiliency officer for the county. Wow. And I had to go, I go to these two days of training. You know, wow. And, that, and that's actually, so I, I go down to these two days of training um, down in South Jersey, and this is the first time that I meet Bill Mazur. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, cause we've only been chatting on the phone. Oh, on the phone right. Like that, right? Yeah. So he gets up and speaks and I come on, you know, after we're done speaking, we broke out, I go make my way down and I'm like, uh, Hey, uh, Bill, how you doing? It's, uh, it's Brad. And he looks at me, and goes, dude, you are the last person I would have picked to think <laughs> that, I, that you were talking on the other end of the phone. Right. You do not, you know, like, just look at you, you know, look at you. And he, he starts comparing me to uh, have Thor Bjorns in the mountain. You know, and I'm just like, well, it's, it's me. I, you know, I was broken inside. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter nah. how big you are. I was broken. You yeah, know? man, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do these, these two days of training down there. And, you know, I'm certified as now as a, you know, a chief, uh, master resiliency trainer, you know, for the, um, for the state. And it's, a, I look at it as being one of the most important positions because if this doesn't, if your brain does not work, right, all the other shit that you have learned goes to shit, right? Well, you know, we train, we train, you know, how to, you know, how to firearms training. We train cap- tactical training and shit like that. That doesn't mean shit if this ain't straight. At all. Right? At all. It's right? worthless. Or useless. Useless. Right. So you would want to be useful. So, you know, my big, you know, my message that I want to send to these, because it all starts at the top. The attorney general is on board with us, right? right. And all on down, it needs to it needs to start it needs to start at the level of the local PDs, right? And the they, local police chiefs, the local yes. sheriffs, yes. And they need to adapt that mentality that my chief has, right? How Where, come people are reluctant and in, in modern, especially when you look about what's going on right now, right? And, and you go, my God, there is a a wave of of animosity that's being redirected at, at police officers right now um, for the actions of, of a few people, right? Mm-hmm. right? And you say to yourself, my God, absolutely, they deserve you know, to be prosecuted, they deserve yeah. due process, but they deserve to be prosecuted and, and taken off the force, as well as all of the bad apples. We, we need to be more 
uh, more concentrated on these people. But what I'm hearing is that if we get our officers the right help they need, if we give them the right training they need, if we give them more tools to deal with the most dangerous job in the world, that they're gonna have a better opportunity. If, yes. they're, if they're healthier up here yes. and they're healthier in here, they're gonna make better decisions when, when it's crazy, when, yes. they, when, when all hell's breaking loose. Because as you well know, right, you know, being in those situations when all hell breaks loose, okay, that you revert back to your training. 100%. Right. You and know, you don't you don't rise to the occasion. That, no. that big fear, you fall back to your last level of training, yeah. right? You fall yeah. back to your last level of training, right? Yeah. Because you get that tunnel vision, right? And it's you know, you re- just go back to that training, yeah. right? And that's why you have to constantly train, right? So, with that being said, when shit hits the fan, right, in with your brain, you're gonna revert back to that last level of training. Okay. Absolutely. And if you have not trained your brain to think a certain way, you are going to hit rock bottom. Absolutely. Right? So that's why training your brain and, have, and having a resiliency program like this and giving these officers, you know, uh, tools to use when they do hit this, hit this wall, when they do come across this adversity in their life, Right? Use these things, right? You may not use it today. You may not use it tomorrow. You may use it 10 years from now, but it's in your toolbox. Right. 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 Okay. And it's a very, very, very important thing to have. And, you know, both the cops and the higher ups need to take, need to take, in my opinion, need to take it seriously. This ain't another, you know, bullshit training, like check the box type of training. No right. way. No this way. is training, in my opinion, that's going to save your life. It's going to save everybody's life. Save everyone's life because not only in your professional world, right, as a cop, but also in your personal world, right? I mean, you don't go home and clear rooms, no. right? You know, clear your hard tens when you enter a room. No, you only do that in your professional job, right? But when you're practicing gratitude and spirituality and breathing exercises and stuff of that nature, okay? That helps in both both areas. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? It doesn't make you weaker. It doesn't. It no. makes you more effective. More makes you a thousand percent more effective. So you know, and those two things that I mentioned. You know, the, the the three things I mentioned. The spirituality we talked about. My gratitude. Holy shit! My gratitude is through the roof. Right before I never had gratitude. Right, my gratitude was uh, you know like I told you I had that shit attitude. Okay, yeah. now every single day when I wake up. I am grateful for four things. I am grateful that God gave me another chance today to do his will. God is, um, let, gave me a, a, a very healthy and safe family, right? Everyone's all good, right? I am sober today. I am very grateful for that, okay? And I'm grateful that I have a job. Amen. I, I have four of those things every single day. I, I win, right? Anything after that is a bonus. Okay. I wake up every single day and have that mentality. That's why like when I wake up, I'm ready to go out and do God's will. I am ready to go. Right. You know, I put on that, you know, armor of God and I'm, I'm ready to rock. That's a real thing too. People don't yeah. understand that. No, what, it is. What type of, what type of beating you can take when you're wearing God's love, right? When you're wearing no. that armor of love is powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Obviously, 
we're going through a very challenging time, in particular up in your area. I, I, I was listening to a political commentator yesterday who has a friend on the force in the city uh, who said they've been on for 12 straight days, 14-hour shifts. Um, they're feeling the effects of all of this, the totality, because you can't mm -hmm. single out any one particular aspect. It's going to affect yeah. everybody yeah. that's on the front lines of this. How are those, what is going, are, first off, is are these individuals that are facing what they're facing, are they going to be affected? And then how do we help them in, in being able to um, um, process what they're feeling and then, and then prepare them to get back out? Because the whole sensation that, that we need to uh, get rid of police departments, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, no civilization has ever been able to survive without some form of policing, whether it was by the mm -hmm. military cops. Whatever. It just doesn't exist. So it's, not, it's a non-argument, I believe. But what you do have to have is you do have to have a force of people that has the mental, the, first, the tactical training, right? Uh, the emotional intelligence training, the, their own mental health training to, to stay in this fight. So, so what are you in your new mission in life, right? As a master resilience trainer mm -hmm. and state of proof, what are you guys preparing to do to help this, these officers that are in this whole new place and the place of the old place because they're just exposed to so much horrific shit every day. What, I mean, what is your, what's the plan? I mean, we're, we're, we're starting to roll out the, the, this program, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we had COVID hit and that kind of put a, you know, a little, uh, little wrench in the, the whole plan there, but you know, we, we, uh, we're starting to roll out these programs and where we're going to start teaching the, uh, the, uh, department resiliency officers who are then going to go back and teach their guys. Train okay? trainers. Okay. Yeah. Train a trainer. Right. So we have, we have unlimited resources, right. That, that we have available. Um, you know, we're, especially now talk about COVID ever since COVID hit, you know, we have these programs, you know, for those, uh, you know, like I, I want to say like online programs, you know, I know uh, there's a program called warrior 21 that's out there, right. That was developed by the NYPD and Columbia university. Wow. Right? That is a 21 day resiliency program. Well, okay. okay. Warrior. Online, right. Um, and then I know that there is a, um, I know personally, you know, there is a uh, Facebook group out there. It's called Warriors Anonymous, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's an offshoot from Warriors Heart, mm -hmm. right? And what we do is we go out and help the warrior community, right? Guys who are affected by this, right? We help, you know, everyone who goes to Warriors Heart, the, the active duty, the veterans, the first responders, right? We have meetings, right? Online meetings via Zoom. Um, you know, check, you know, check us out at, you know, at the Warriors Anonymous on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's, pro, it's programs like that. You know, we have to be as cops, we always want to be a certain, you know, we want to be proactive with our training. You know, everyone wants to sign up for these firearms courses and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> but we also do have to take care of our brains, right? Amen. You know, go out, spend time with your family, right? Do those breathing exercises, right? That, that four, seven, eight breathing, you know, we, we breathe in for four seconds, hold for seven, breathe out for eight, right? Do that, do that repetition six times. And let me, and tell me how you feel after that. Exactly. You're going to feel like a million bucks. Trust me. Yeah, bro. You know, it just clears you. 
right? is a powerful thing. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> well, um, but we need to be proactive in doing things to help ourselves, okay? And, you know, you talk about all the stuff that's going on in the world, and it's very, very hard not to be able to escape this stuff, you know, because you see it on social media. Every time you turn on, every time you turn on a TV, you see it somewhere, right? And us as, as law enforcement, we see it every day. Right? Well, and that's a big difference, right? What what your feed, what your is in your feed that yes. that you're responding to here and yes. here is much different than because well, you know, you know, you you might you might be transitioning one way or the other in terms of your ideology or your. Mm-hmm. Opinions based on what you're seeing in line, yeah. But the 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 fact of the matter is that a percentage of any population of any society around the world, and there's a brilliant guy, uh, Thomas Sewell, who's a, a really famous author, and and he's at the Hoover Institute out at at Stanford, which he discussed about that every society has its problems, right? Every society has a certain component of its group that are going to commit crimes that are going to be undervalued, that are going to be corrupt, that are going to be right. There's a certain, there's a certain human nature within the human condition that that we have a propensity for sin, man. It's just the way it is. So Mm -hmm. those aren't going to stop just because, you know, uh, we want to be more kumbaya with each other yes. in a crude way of, of describing a greater <laughs> emotional availability because it just, that's a part of who we are. So, yeah. so to be able to live in both worlds, right? H- how do I be a police officer that sees the, the most destructive aspects of, of humanity day in and day out? How do I maintain a sense of emotional intimacy where I can express my feelings, where I can talk about it openly, where I can tell how this affects me and still want to go back to that every day? Okay. It's simple, right? It's just worry about the things that you can change. Wow. Right? You know, it's a serenity prayer. It really is, you know. Worry about yourself and what you can do. Don't worry about what, you know, what's happening in Minneapolis and what the Minneapolis, you know, government is going to do, okay? Because that has no effect on me. Yeah. Right? Right? Why, am I, why should I get stressed out about that? You know, granted, what happened out there was horrific, tragic, right? Despicable, right? But I have to worry about how I, Brad, can change, right? And can change the narrative. Okay. And that's by, again, doing the next right thing. Doing the next right thing, brother. Right. That's what it is. Right. I had, I've already had the experience because, you know, we're, um, we've been covering the protests, right? Mm-hmm. And I've already had individuals come on up to me who are marching in these Black Lives Matter protests. And knocking on the window of my my car, and you know, I rolled down, and they're like, "We love you." And I look at them and say, "Huh, I love you more, right?" Because, like I said to you before, I have no hate, no room for hate yeah. in my body. I don't want that. It's toxic. It's cancerous. I don't want it. It ruined my life once. It ain't gonna happen again. Wow. Right. So. It's just going back to doing the next right thing and taking care of one another, living the golden rule, 
do unto others as you would want done unto yourself, right? And that's really it. If someone has something to say about you, okay, I can't control their, the way they feel about me. That's their opinion. They're entitled to it, okay? But I know that I'm doing what I need to do to do my job effectively, Yeah. okay? And I know that I'm doing it by the book, by the, by the rule of law, right? Everything I'm doing is legal. And it's right. So how can they, how can they judge me for that? You know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, no, I, I mean, it, you know, does there need to be some change? Yes. Okay. And are we going to move towards that? Yes. Okay. As long as we keep doing the next right thing. Which and is taking care of each other. Taking care of each other. Yeah, man. Okay? You know, because at the end of the day, we are all God's children. Right, and God loves every single one of us, brother. From That's your lips right. to God's ears to everybody listening to this is yeah. the truth. It's the truth, you know. And it is funny, you know, how, how we talk about have not having that room for hate anymore, and and uh, God loving people, and me me, you know, uh, loving people back. All right. So remember, how I told you about that. Uh, the one case with a, with a nine month old baby earlier. Right. So about a year ago, I get a phone call. I'm sorry. Two years ago, I get a phone call from that boyfriend. Wow. And he's like, Hey Brad, it's, you know, so-and-so I'm like, Hey, what's going on, dude? He's like, Hey man, you know, I'm doing good. I'm like, all right, good for you. He's like, Hey, you know, you want to get together and have a coffee? I'm like, Hey, are you tell me when? Hang up the phone. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Go pound. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. You're a piece of shit in my eyes. Right. Yeah. One year later, right, this is after I go to Warrior's Heart and I come back, I'm in the rooms and I see, I go to this picnic and I go to this picnic and I see this individual, well, this girl I went to high school with and we start talking and um, she happens to run in to this individual at a local grocery store that night and she tells this individual that she saw me there. Wow. This guy asked for my phone number. And he goes, what is he doing there? Right? She's like, well, he's in the rooms. He's like, you got to give me his phone number. Oh, my God. All right. Gets my phone number. The following day, he calls me and put my oldest kid to bed. And I get a phone call from him. And he goes, uh, Brad? Hey, yeah. He's like, hey, it's a so-and-so. Hey, what's up, dude? He's like, I hear you're going through a lot of problems. Said, yeah. You're in the rooms. Oh, yeah. He goes, whatever you need, brother, I got your back. Whatever you need, I got you. Right. And you want to talk about tears coming out of my eyes? This is a kid who I hated for what he did to a nine month old baby. And now I consider him a brother. I, you know, we, we were making plans to go fishing together. We speak at, we speak at engagements together. We tell our story. And when we speak together and we tell our story, it, you want to talk about people blowing people's minds? I mean, it is insane, right? Um, and that's the power of God putting us Lord. together for a greater purpose, right? Lord. Because that greater purpose is to show individuals that this disease of addiction does not pick and choose who it affects. Don't it can affect that. everyone. Right. And we spread that message and, um, you know, hell, we're, you know, we talk all the time and you know, it's crazy this past year, right? 
So the, the event happened on February 14th and I happened to go to the 12 o'clock meeting that day. And who's, and I walk into the meeting room and who's there, but him. We sit down and sit down next to each other. And I look over at him and I go, would you have thought six years ago when we first met, we'd be sitting next to each other in a room right now? He goes, fuck no. <laughs> you know, but that's God. That's God. Brad, right? my brother, I, I just, the wisdom that you have and the passion that you speak about this, man, it, it's, it's your work, God's work and through you. Yeah. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on here and sharing your story and most importantly for doing what you're doing. Uh, Cause we're coming into a time. I believe there's a shift in consciousness happening in our, <laughs> our society where we need to come together and we need to come yeah. together in exactly that way. You just described to be able to forgive, to reduce judgment, and to love each other as God wants us to love each other. Yeah, man. I just exactly. can't thank you so much, Brad, for, for sharing yeah. with us, man. Yeah, th you know, thank you again for uh, giving me the opportunity to get up here and, and tell my story. You know, um, you know, and, you know, thanks to Wally. You know, yeah, thank you, Wally. You know, God bless you, brother. You know, you know, thanks for Tom Spooner. You thank know, you, Tom. You know, Lisa and Josh Lander for, for developing the Warriors Josh. Yeah, you know, man. Thank you to my SWAT commander, my chief. Thank you, sir. You know, all, all, all those people, you know, my PBA president, all those guys who came and supported me, you know, my chief, you know, and most importantly, I want to say thank you to my wife. Yeah, man. And just let her know that I'm sorry for everything I did. And uh, I love you very much. Amen. And, you know, and again, thank you very much, sir, for letting me come on. I appreciate it. God bless you, Brad. God bless you and your family. God bless you, sir. I just want to thank everybody uh, once again that has come forward, uh, my, my close clients, my teammates, my partners, my friends that have supported me since I restarted Frog Logic Podcast. Uh, I just can't thank Onnit enough, man. I really appreciate all your support and your love that you've given me through this whole thing. And, man, I just I love your products. I love the alpha brain, man. If you're, if you want that mental alacrity, that memory and focus, you want to get dialed in for a full day of work, a full day of focus, a full day of, of really pushing your cognitive abilities to the maximum to optimize the way you think, man, then alpha brain is it for you, man. Head on over to onnit.com. That's O N N I T.com. Uh, and, uh, tell them frog logic sent you and man, go get yourself some on it. Uh, some alpha brain, go get yourself some new uh, uh, kettlebells, go get yourself uh, some total gut health to build the healthy gut floor, man. Uh, I just love their products. They got great protein. They got everything you could want, man. Thank you so much, Onnit. Let's head over to Onnit. That's O-N-N-I-T. And then other is ReadyWise. If you are not ready and prepared uh, for the next pandemic, for the next shutdown, for the next thing that's coming, for the next hurricane, for the next tornado, for the next whatever. If you don't have enough food to last your family one month, three months, six months, seven months, whatever you think you need to do for the next kind of tragic moment, man, then head over to readywise.com, man. Uh, and check out all the incredible meals that they have. These are freeze-dried meals. They last 25 years. 
They're easily stackable and 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 storage in their containers. They've got these great bucket containers that uh, stack accordingly. Man, the food tastes great. I've had just about every kind of uh, uh, meal ready to eat, MRE style meal you can think about. I've eaten almost everything they have. It's great tasting. It's phenomenal. Much more importantly, it gives you and your family the peace of mind that you will be able to take care of, at least feed your family. If all else goes wrong, you'll be able to feed your family. So get on over to readywise.com and check it out. If you put in the promo code FROGLOGIC, you get 25% off everything. They're a little backed up right now, but they will get it to you, man. They are working 24-7 around the clock. Man, you cannot beat this organization Please get over to readywise.com, get yourself some food, uh, and uh, promo code FROGLOGIC, 25% off everything. Also, if uh, you or your organization needs an online motivational training talk, please uh, hit us up at teamfroglogic.com. If you want some cool kids books, a PT book during the, the protein uh, during the pandemic to get them back up in shape, man, I've got Doc Frog's physical training manual. I've got Doc Frog's anti-bully manual. You can pick up my book on self-confidence for adults. You can buy stickers, hats, and everything you want or more likely just come on over write a note and tell us how much uh, uh, you're enjoying everything and also if you could on this man if you feel up for it man write a, write a post for us on whatever platform you're listening to this write a review write a whatever man send a note to us tell us if you like it man we just really love your feedback so I hope you enjoyed this tough episode uh, God bless you God bless everybody hopefully we can live with greater love in our hearts so we can all just love more God bless who ya.